Welcome to Conversations on Modern Slavery, a podcast produced by Free the Slaves. Conversations on Modern Slavery explores the complexity of modern slavery looking at its drivers, its manifestations, and its consequences. Featuring discussions about the latest research conducted by Free the Slaves and dialogues with eminent experts and frontline practitioners. This podcast seeks to amplify public awareness and galvanize action around modern slavery, providing insights into the root causes, reasons for hope, and pioneering solutions. Conversations on Modern Slavery is a must-listen for everyone passionate about eradicating modern slavery. My name is Brian Lippincott. I'm the head of communications at Free the Slaves, and I'll be co-hosting this podcast with my colleague, Dr. Marta Furlan, who manages our research program here at Free the Slaves. The guest for Episode 4 of Conversations on Modern Slavery is Charmaine Gandhi-Andrews. Charmaine served in Trinidad and Tobago Public Service for 38 years, 32 of which was spent as an immigration officer in the Ministry of National Security. She became the first female chief immigration officer in Trinidad and Tobago in 2015, a position she held until her early retirement from public service in January of this year. Passionate about issues related to trafficking in persons, Charmaine has been involved in anti-human trafficking activities since 2009. She advocated for and was actively involved in developing and implementing policies and legislation on trafficking in persons in Trinidad and Tobago. In 2012, she was appointed as the first director to lead the establishment of Trinidad and Tobago's counter-trafficking unit and develop and implement the country's anti-trafficking efforts. She led the investigation, identification, rescue, rehabilitation, and reunification of victims of human trafficking with their families. The U.S. State Department recognized Charmaine as a hero acting to end modern-day slavery in its 2014 Trafficking in Persons report. In December 2022, she was honored with a Migrant Hero Award from the International Organization for Migration Port of Spain office for her years of dedication and service in the field of migration. This episode of Conversations on Modern Slavery was recorded in May of this year as a 2023 Freedom from Slavery Global Forum in Punta Cana, Dominican Republic. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Charmaine Gandhi-Andrews. Charmaine, great to meet you. Am I saying your name correctly? Yes, it's you. Okay. <laughs> so, can you introduce yourself and tell me about your organization? Okay, so I'm Charmaine Gandhi-Andrews. I'm a retired chief immigration officer. I retired early this year. And um, I, having retired, joined my husband's consultancy as an e-development, where we do a, well, he would have done a lot of leadership training and soft skills training, um, some work in migration um, together with me during my 38-year career um, in the public service and pretty much 34th of that in migration issues. Um, so I've been dealing with human trafficking issues, looking at that with full government since 2010. I've been involved in an anti-trafficking movement, um, really getting the Trinidad and Tobago ready to deal with trafficking in persons, uh, legislation, setting up the counter-trafficking unit, um, leading investigations and um, rescue victims, rehabilitating, sending them, helping them um, really get themselves back to a place of not normalcy, you know, but um, letting them know that they are safe, 
and helping them get back to their families, which was one of the key things and that gave a lot of satisfaction to me, you know, during the course of my career. I would have been recognized as a trafficking in persons hero by the United States um, Department, State Department. And that um, was in 2014 for the work that I had done. And um, since then, and even before that, you know, it has become a passion of mine to really work with victims and rescue victims and, and change people's mindset about um, victims of trafficking. I'll, I'm gonna throw an extra question here. Mm -hmm. What mindset are you trying to change? What are you? How are you trying? Where are you trying to move people from and to? Good. So in Trinidad and Tobago, what we saw was mostly um, sex trafficking, and there was this perception that the nationalities of the victims that we were seeing, mainly Dominican Republic, Venezuelan, and Colombians, that. The women that we were discovering or rescuing were really prostitutes. I mean, we did have a big problem of prostitution from um, women out there, those nationalities. So the mindset was that every woman from those countries, once we caught them prostituting or in some place of ill repute, that they were a prostitute and not a victim of trafficking. So even in my work as an immigration officer, coming up through the ranks, that's what we thought. Even for me that, you know, these women really come into prostitute. That's where we found them in brothels. So it was really getting people to understand, and even myself in the beginning, um, that no, not everybody is a prostitute and not everybody is doing the sex work willingly. And it was the biggest challenge was to get um, the police on board with that, and to get the politicians on board with it. Because it was a good fight between 2010 and when we eventually proclaimed the legislation in 2013 and got the counter-trafficking unit set up and rescuing victims. You know, to, for them to really understand that trafficking exists, that this is what was going on in Trinidad and Tobago, right under our noses, and that not every woman and every prostitute that we encountered um, was willing to do that kind of work. So the first victim we found, actually, that we rescued was from the Dominican Republic. In fact, the first five victims, we didn't have the, the Trafficking in Persons Act as yet, the first five victims were from the Dominican Republic. So it's quite interesting that I'm here in the Dominican Republic at this forum you know, where for me it all began with one victim from the Dominican Republic who we really helped and who left a mark on me because it was just to see somebody who was almost as if their soul had died. And you look at them and there's nothing in their eyes. Or they just seem so far away because of the experience. It was a really horrendous experience she had, you know. So those things made me really passionate about what, trafficking in persons and about rescuing victims and really getting people to understand that it exists one that existed in our country and this is what it looks like and it was with the foreign nationals who were um um exploiting them it was citizens of trinidad and tobago who were doing the exploitation of these individuals Yes, it might have had some links to the home country, but it was the Trinidad and Tobago nationals who were the 
the traffickers and who were doing the exploitation. So it was, it's been interesting. It's been an interesting 13 years, you know, and um, really working to get it done. You see spikes in, in the response um, because I think um, when we don't see victims or we don't see us rescuing victims and we go out on a raid and the, the police officers and even the counter-trafficking unit cannot identify victims, then the attitude is that, oh, wait a minute, you know, trafficking doesn't exist in Trinidad anymore. You're not finding any victims, you know. But it goes back to how do you identify them, whether you're asking the right questions, whether you're making them feel comfortable enough to give you the information in the first place, you know, and really having that interest in what work it is you're doing. So when we go out on an exercise, we go out on a raid to a brothel and we pick up seven to women. One of them certainly wasn't doing it willingly, at least one. And it comes up with, it comes back to how are we interviewing and identifying these victims? But really, when there's no identification, proper identification, then the politician said, well, we're not going to invest resources into this because you're not getting any victims. So trafficking doesn't exist. What I hear you saying is there's a large perception issue there. When you project certain things, people... I mean, so victims may not come forward because they don't want to be labeled a certain way mm -hmm. or they don't get their the rights they're due because of those perceptions or all of those things. Yes, that's, that's true. But then um, a lot of the times and what we found is that there were some police officers who were involved and the first two persons we prosecuted under the, the 2013 legislation were police officers. One was a serving police officer whose matter is now in the high court, although it's still going on 10 years later. We haven't had that matter really heard at the high court and even a prosecution. So victims, when they, they realize that there are police officers involved, they don't want to give any information because they don't know if they would be further victimized, uh, further exploited, and most of the times they just say, I want to go home. You know, that's where immigration comes in to repatriate and they just leave, you know? So it's, it's really creating. And that was one of the things in the beginning. Um, I remember one case, if I may tell you, just this one case that he had where we were able to rescue out the, the girls escaped from the house. And, um, one of the neighbors helped them. We contacted immigration. We picked them up. And only to find out that the exploiter was a relative of an immigration officer and of a judge. And that, when we were talking to them, the trafficker called her on her phone to let her know that immigration was looking for you. And this is even before the trafficking legislation, I'm telling you about 2010. Um, immigration is looking for you. The police are looking for you. They're going to lock you up. You need to tell me where you are. You know, and we are literally hearing the trafficker telling her this. And the, both of them are there cowering in fear, even though they were in this safe space. 
with us in immigration. And only afterwards we realized, oh, wait a minute, it's because she knew that the person who was her exploiter was also relatives because he told her that if she didn't do what they wanted her to do, then he would get his relative to come in and take her lock up and put her in the detention center. Because the immigration detention center, of course, was made out to be this horrible place, you know, where they would be further abused and everything else and ill-treated. Um, so that was the mindset. So it was it was just learning and understanding, wait a minute, all of these people are involved. And this is how the traffickers really control the victims so that they don't say anything. So you have no evidence. They, you can't identify them properly as a victim because they clam up, they want to go home, and then you don't get any information and then be able to go after the traffickers and disrupt that whole trafficking operation. All right. Uh, so the next question is, was the Caribbean form the first form you attended? Yes, it was. And um, thanks to my friend Adrian, um, who invited me to the forum and actually asked me if I would be on the planning committee, which was I was thrilled about um, anything involved in anti-trafficking and thrilled to deal with. Um, you know, so it was exciting. And to see the wide, diverse areas of trafficking that we were going to deal with, you know, really the whole spectrum of, of our anti-trafficking response because as a government official, which I was at the time, we only learned about, okay, what was the country response? So every forum, every meeting that we would have gone to really was for each country to present on what they were doing. So really this forum was completely different in that we were tackling real issues, hearing from real people on the ground what they were working on, what was working, and to hear and to learn about the the broad spectrum and all of the players involved in an anti-trafficking response was exciting for me because you had go to a meeting and okay yes I'm going to just present on what Trinidad and Tobago is doing or we hear what Barbados is doing we would never hear from the NGOs who are the real heroes in an anti-trafficking response I think because they're the ones who we rely on greatly to provide the care for the victim and because government really didn't have a response and the NGOs have done human service, really taking care of the victims, giving them counseling and helping them understand, you know, it's not their fault. And really working with them. And, and we have, um, I'm speaking as a government official, we had no idea what was going on with the victim, you only relied on the NGO coming back to us and telling us this is what would have happened. So you need to tread carefully uh, when you're asking them certain questions because we would have to get a statement going forward. But with the work of the NGO and them telling us, this is how you ask, this is how you respond, this is how you get them to trust you enough to give you the information that you want. Um, so the forum really brought all of those players together and we spoke about all of the different facets of an anti-trafficking response, um, really understanding what victims would have gone through, what the NGOs are doing, um, 
to help what government should be doing um, in order to, to really be proactive and have a very effective response to trafficking, listening to prosecutors and how they were able to prosecute a case um, to the end. You win some, you lose some, you know. So um, even for, for us in Trinidad and Tobago, understanding what it will take for a successful prosecution, what kind of evidence we needed to have, you know, going forward to really secure that conviction. So it was quite interesting. I learned so much from all of them. And the one thing, if we could go on, is one thing, one person that really stood out to me, and that was Lufalas James, who spoke about the vulnerabilities of persons with disabilities. And even though we know persons with disabilities are vulnerable, yes, because of their condition, he brought home to us what they actually go through on a day-to-day -day basis, even outside of a trafficking scenario, what they have to enjoy and endure. So even more so in a trafficking situation and how they are so brutally exploited, you know. So what they would have gone through and, and the... Even in response to a, a person with disability who might have been rescued and how you treat with that individual, you know, was something that was just mind-blowing for me because it's something that I never really considered or focused on because I guess I've never had, I've never really had interactions with persons with disabilities like that. So for me, it was really eye-opening to learn about it and to learn one, how much more exploited a person with a disability can be. And then how do we then protect and care for that person thereafter? I mean, the only thing that, that I, I really would have learned about with a person with disability and how traffickers can exploit them was going back to a movie, you know, Slumdog Millionaire, when they blinded the young boy because he would get more money, you know. So, okay, that's in the movie, but, you know, Muffinus really brought it home. Well, that's a reality. So it was it was really quite interesting for me um, to learn about that, to be reminded about really what goes into trafficking and an anti-trafficking response, because learning from all of the different persons from different countries, different professions, they all brought a, a new perspective for me on, on dealing with trafficking in persons. And then the person from UNODC spoke, who spoke about cybercrime and the influence and how much that now plays a part in today's trafficking enterprise. I mean, that was just unbelievable. You know, you sit with a phone and you realize, oh, wait a minute, how many people are really tracking you on this? You know? So... That was that was just an eye opener for me. Those two things, cybercrime and and how it it works into this society, and then persons with disabilities. I mean, I've, I've interacted with a number of victims in my life in my career, and um, that one that one, as we would say in Trinidad, when I cricket turn, hit me for six. You know, so okay, wonderful. Um. 
I think you covered a, a couple questions there. That was great. Um, how how do you think attending the forum will affect your anti-trafficking, anti-slavery work moving forward? I think it raises my own awareness of what's happening today on the ground because we get the perspective from so many of the NGOs and um, the persons who are really on the ground dealing with victims, um, going out there, gathering the information, um, letting us know what new trends they're seeing. Because that's where we see a lot of, that's where we get a lot of the information. Um, the, the attending the forum, and because it deals with such a wide, varied um, range of, of issues um, involved in an anti-trafficking response, um, that it makes me more aware of what is happening around the globe, what we can expect maybe to see in Trinidad and Tobago and become more aware of that. Um, so it, it really gives me a holistic view of all the facets of an anti-trafficking response. Um, and looking at the agenda, I'm upset because sometimes for a workshop, two of what I want to see is factoring. You know, what I, I want to be part of because it really is so interesting to listen to the practitioners and those persons who are so much involved in it um, from different parts of the world because most of what I've seen would have been maybe within a, a Latin American context and the meetings and, and um, conferences that I've been to. But this takes on now uh, a wider range of, of um, persons and, and organizations and what they're doing in different parts of the world because in Trinidad and Tobago, we see persons coming from all parts of the globe. And as an immigration officer, we have seen persons coming in from all parts of the world, staying in the country illegally, working illegally, um, trying to transit to, through Trinidad to get to somewhere else to go to the U.S. Um, and you see the trans cycle, the nationality cycle through. Um, so it really gives me a perspective about different countries, what they're going through now in today's world and understanding what we could expect as we move forward in, in really uh, ramping up an anti-trafficking response in Trinidad and the Caribbean because a lot of the times they pass through different countries in the Caribbean and the Caribbean sometimes gets lost um, when we, we start to talk about some of the bigger countries and the anti-trafficking response when we're seeing it because if I get one victim, uh, two victims in Trinidad, that's a lot for a small country of 1.3 million people, you know? So I'm excited about attending the Global Forum. I was really excited when I was invited to attend and I'm so looking forward to hearing from the, the speakers and meeting the other participants and understanding what they are doing um, so that I can properly craft my own response. There are so many different participants and players in the anti-trafficking response attending the forum that 
we have NGOs and um, FBOs and everybody else who are involved in an anti-trafficking response. Some of them I didn't even know um, that. And we are no longer limited in this global forum to just, okay, who we know within the region. Now we're being exposed to other persons across the globe who we can network with and partner with and, and going forward, we can collaborate with them. Their response, see how we can adopt and adapt their response to what we might be doing in the Caribbean. Um, and really just having a better um, global response because all we need is no longer a Caribbean response or regional response. We really need to work together for this global response on trafficking because the source country is somewhere else. And for us, it could be somewhere in India, somewhere in Pakistan, somewhere in Syria, so that connecting with persons from those parts of the world um, would certainly help when we find a victim here who's from, let's say, Pakistan, you know, or from India. And I think having that collaborative um, network would certainly augur well for how the Caribbean responds to trafficking in persons. Even with, well, I go back to the first victim of trafficking we had, actually no, it wasn't the first victim, it was another one. We were able to work with the authorities in the Dominican Republic because we couldn't secure a conviction in Trinidad. But working with the authorities in the Dominican Republic, we were able to secure a conviction of the trafficker in the Dominican Republic that recruiter. So I think that's the Caribbean response and now we can take it further than that when we have victims from other countries and other parts of the world. So meeting all of these persons and networking with them and understanding the cultures, which is something sometimes we don't understand, the different cultures that they're coming from, let's say in a particular part of India. And I think that would help in the response. Within the forum, I mean, there are so many participants um, there are some people within government um, who may not have even interviewed a victim or it may be one specific type of exploitation that we might have seen. I think hearing from victims in this forum who would have gone through various types of exploitation really helps to bring about an understanding of what is involved with varying types of exploitation because it could be, we could understand sexual exploitation, but we don't really understand labor exploitation too much, you know, and the different types of labor exploitation, even within the, and how they go about doing it and how it might be easy enough to do it and how we can recognize that this is what is going on in a particular environment, in a particular organization. Um, so hearing the survivor's stories from how they might would have been recruited, who would have done it, um, how the, the traffickers try to hide what they are doing in terms of, let's say, labor exploitation and how they try to deceive the authorities, um, how they would have controlled the victim 
in not letting them um, really reach out to anybody. I think that is going to, one, help persons like me get a better understanding of the entire operation from the recruitment of the victim to everything in between to when they were rescued, how they were treated, um, what they really needed in order to feel safe, and then how we can help them even when they return to their home. Um, because some of them may not be able to return to their home. And therefore, how do we network with other partners to really help them um, reconnect with their, their society and whatnot? Because um, I, I think so many of them have such a real rich, um, I don't want to say story, story is not the right word, a lived experience that we could really learn from and understand how the human brain operates and how people's emotions can get in the way of really understanding or responding to something. Because too often we ourselves have um, our own biases and we don't really want to see things, anything bad. And I think hearing the survivors will really open up our minds and our understanding and start to break down some of the, the barriers and the biases that even we ourselves have um, about certain things. And I think that's where the richness of it and that's where the forum providing that space for the, the survivors to come out and talk about what they would have gone through and what it took for them to even get to the point of attending the forum to tell us what they would have gone through and how they survived and how they are now influencing um, other communities and other persons, even if it's one other person, one person who might have been in the same situation like themselves, you know, to stop them from making what essentially could be the biggest mistake of their life. And I think that understanding is, it, it's, it leads to, to action and it leads to change because that's what we want to do, bring about that change um, and really disrupt how traffickers operate and how a trafficking enterprise can thrive in any given society. Lashani, your experience um, from the aspect of being a government official that working to combat trafficking from that perspective has has given you a lot of um, perspective from how we can prevent and how we can prosecute. In your opinion, do you think that in the Caribbean or globally, we can end human trafficking in our lifetime? The honest answer for that is no. Only because we are dealing with people People have dreams and aspirations and wanting a better life. That's the migration part of it in me. And people seeing other things and really wanting something better for themselves. And there are always people on the other side wanting to exploit that dream and exploit the individual for their own personal benefit 
and profit. And we will always have that. But we need to disrupt the trafficker and the environment that the trafficking enterprise can thrive in. We have to go back to that community and that community response and people caring about each other once again. And I think that's where the, the, the Free the Slaves, that movement in rebuilding communities or building a community response, I think is going to be significant in reducing trafficking. It wouldn't end because it's existed for however many centuries. But once we make people more aware, more educated about what trafficking is and the impact that trafficking has on an individual, the family, the community, the nation, and I think we don't address that, that whole range of impact from the person to the nation. And we need to focus on that and really show how they're each connected. I think um, once we, we, we start from the community, it's always a, a rolling effect, a butterfly effect. Since that seems to be a nice buzz term these days, is butterfly effect, which I like, by the way. Um, people caring about each other and what happens and wanting the best for each other. And once we could start that, and young people now who are the most vulnerable, who are the most affected because their lack of jobs, you know, um, their educational uh, abilities and whatnot, um, whether they can move forward, whether they can um, achieve what they want, that dream. And somebody come up to them and said, yes, I can help you with that. And this is how I can. But there's somebody in the community who said, no, 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 hold up. That didn't happen just so. Let's discuss that further. The same way we pick up the phone and we just go through all kind of nonsense, it's the same way we can use the phone and research an organization or a person and really get to know what is happening outside and whether this is legitimate. Because at the end of the day, we need to see whether it's legitimate or not. It's for the authorities to continue to attack the traffickers, whether it's the brothels, whether it's the business places, really having their ears on the ground in intelligence work, gathering that information. And if you have connections, if the authorities have connections with the community, the community will tell them. You know, we see this person coming in and asking these young people um, to go abroad to work or even to leave one particular area to go to another area. And, um, you know, it doesn't seem right. So it's law enforcement building the relationship, the community building the relationship, one, then building the relationship with law enforcement, two, to give them the information and then politicians really taking charge. I, I think it goes back to the old saying where it takes a village to raise a child, but it takes a village to protect the child, not only really raise the child. 
So it takes that village to protect the child. And once the child is protected from all of the things that could affect the child and an individual within the community, because it's not just a child, everybody in the community, then I think um, we would be better off and we could start from that level building that movement. And if each village were to protect, and each community were to protect the people within the community from those um, traffickers and those persons who literally are fooling people, then I think we could start a movement where everybody now is more aware of what is going on with trafficking, who are the exploiters, who are the possible recruiters for the exploiters, and um, we would be better off for it. I, I, at the Caribbean Forum, I raised me that very nice South African word Ubuntu, and I think if we were to talk more about Ubuntu in this whole movement, and people really understand what it takes to stop and to end trafficking because the politicians could make policy, but really it's people to implement and really make it work. Mm -hmm. And I think once we can get that going, um, we can really start to attack trafficking in this century and work towards ending trafficking and disrupting any environment that trafficking can take place in. Thank you for listening to this episode of Conversations on Modern Slavery, a production of Free the Slaves. You can find out more about our work on our website at freetheslaves.net. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Threads. If you haven't already, click the subscribe button on your favorite podcast app to be notified when new episodes are available.